The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the web. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, From Victim to Victor, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft. She's testified many times in Congress and the California Legislature on privacy and identity theft issues. And you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, ABC, O'Reilly Factor, and many other shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash Privacy Piracy. Hey, Mari, what's our show about today? Well, Lloyd, today our show is about children in the Internet, and I have this wonderful book that I just have been reviewing and reading by Thomas Shaw, who's been on our show before. And the name of it is Children in the Internet, A Global Guide for Lawyers and Parents. And it's a, a really fantastic book because we know that the kids today must fully embrace all of the capabilities offered by the technologies and services available on the web. But you know what happens when they are on the web? It become They become exposed to significant risks, dangers, and all sorts of things that we are worried about. So we're going to talk with Tom, but before we do, I just want to tell you about his great background. And believe it or not, he is coming to us from Japan. Thomas Shaw is an attorney based in Asia who works with organizations in the Asia-Pacific region and globally on information law, which includes privacy, information security, e-discovery, internet law, which includes cloud computing, social networking, intellectual property. He's also the author of a new legal technology book called Cloud Computing for Lawyers and Executives, a Global Approach. And he was the lead author and editor of the recently published legal technology book, Information, Security, and Privacy. And we talked about that book the last time he was on about a year ago. He has, and he runs Cloud Risk Asia, which assesses organizations and cloud service providers. And those websites are cloudriskasia.com and a technology law practice, T-Shaw Law, that's T-S-H-A-W Law, Com. So thanks so much for joining us all the way from Japan. We really appreciate it, Tom. Mari, thank you for having me on the show again. Yeah, it's Great terrific. to be back. Yeah. So you've lived internationally for many years now, and you live in Japan. So how are things in Tokyo these days? Well, things are finally getting back to normal here. Uh, they've finally uh, taken all the nuclear plants offline in the country, so we're all breathing a little bit easier, and, uh, and uh, life's getting back to normal uh, this past uh, over more than one year um, since that tragic uh, accident on, uh, on 311. Oh, yeah, honestly. And how's it? you feel safer for your daughter now, don't you? Yeah, we do. We still uh, we still check uh, all the food where it came from, the the drinking water, and and all of that, um, and uh, make sure what the what the radiation levels are. But uh, everyone feels a bit bit better. People have returned, uh, came back uh, to the country, and uh, it's starting to feel a little bit like normal again. That is great. So let's talk a little bit first about your your book here, Children and the Internet. Why did you write this, Tom? Um, Children and the Internet was uh, something I, I wrote just 
from my own experience and my own knowledge of understanding uh, about uh, issues with uh, the Internet and, and privacy and, uh, and all the different risks involved, and then my own daughter and, and, and her going to school and the experiences she was having uh, with the uh, you know, teachers there. For example, they would go out and they would find a great um, program or website to use and it would be wonderful in educating the children. And then, you know, I would ask, well, what's, what's going on? What have you done to, to make sure about any information being requested from the child or who can communicate with them or some of the other risks involved with children online? And they were like, well, what do you mean? And so it became obvious to me that there was, it was a very big need out there to expand um, this I- issue that corporations that we've looked at before, the information security and privacy, to the realm of children and teachers and schools and lawyers and information security professionals and privacy professionals to understand how that affects pretty much everyone because pretty much everyone has children. Everyone has an interest in the subject. That was my driving point to start this, this book. Well, what I really like about it, I think it's really important. I think every teacher should have this and every parent should have it because you know, if you have kids on the internet, the the problem is is more kids are more on the internet than even their parents, and especially the older generation is not as savvy or tech savvy as the kids are. They just pick up this stuff and, you know, in a heartbeat, they know what they're playing with it and they pick up on it, and it's natural for them. So, they, you know, that people need to be much more savvy. The parents need to be much more informed. Of course, you're lucky yeah, no- because you already know this for your daughter. Well, I'm, I'm lucky and unlucky because I know the risks. Every time my daughter picks up uh, my iPad, I, I, I cringe. I'm like, <laughs> wondering what she's, she's doing over there. What do I, what do I need to do if I'm always peeking over her shoulder? Exactly. I'm sure she doesn't. She gives you a hard time about that, right? <laughs> oh, 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 yeah. She likes to leave the room uh, with it, and I follow her as well. And... <laughs> right. So, tell us about some of the risks to children on the web. Well. In, in, in the book, I, there's, there's so many risks. I, I brought them down to 10, 10 categories of risks um, to, to make it easier to understand. Um, there's risks that, that children uh, have, uh, for example, of being involved in what's called child pornography or child abuse images, um, getting involved in that, either something uh, where they're, they're actually doing it themselves, like in, in the sexting uh, issues that are going on, or in, in being a victim as well. There are risks uh, of children being, being tracked online um, by predators who yes. hang around children websites and befriend children and, and then use that to then, then meet them offline. Um, there are, and you called that cyber grooming, huh? Well, yeah, they, they get into to cyber grooming and, and preparing children uh, to be their friend and, and to meet them offline to send them various... Um, child uh, pornography, child abuse images uh, of, of themselves to keep the relationship going, to, to gain power over the child, and to then, then use that power against the child in, in an offline manner as well. Mm-hmm. Um, there are other risks. There's a whole series of risks about privacy, uh, children's privacy as well. What kind of information is, is the child uh, giving up, and how is that information being used? Not only information about the child, but the child's parents as well. Everything that involves a child eventually involves her parents. Right. And, um, and, you know, even things like when they're going on vacation, you know, maybe get the kids to talk about when they're going on vacation and somebody can break into the home. I mean, all sorts of, it, it, you know, the sky's the limit for these people who have bad intentions, right? 
It, it, it is, and, and you're talking about the Internet, so you're talking about globally, and you're talking about people, you know, criminals around the world who can hide behind different sets of laws. The, the laws you may think you have in, in your own state, in your own country that protect you may not apply to people situated globally who may be hiding behind uh, various uh, laws that, that may not protect you against them. So parents have to be very aware of what's going on um, and all these risks. But there's other risks as well that you're very well aware of, issues with identity theft of children. Yes. Um, this, is, this is a very big issue. You know, children have clean uh, credit records. And so if you can steal a Social Security number of a child, you've got an open field out there to go out and do things for maybe up to 20 years before a child ever actually uses their Social Security number and tries to, to get credit and do that. So that's a very big issue these days is that, that the children's identities are being stolen as well. And, and so, it's not just for credit. It's for medical identity theft to get medical care. It's for committing crimes in their names, and then they find out about it later getting governmental benefits. So, yeah, I mean, identity theft is a huge one. How about cyberbillying? We hear about that all the time. Yeah. Cyber, cyberbullying? Yeah, cyberbullying. Yeah. Cyberbullying cyber is, is, a, is a real um, coming issue these days because so many kids now have their, either their own phone or their own access to the, to the Internet, um, and, and on, the, on their mobile phones they're able to stay in contact with each other. And as typical teenagers have always done, they, they may you know, group, group up one, you know, some group against the other. And what that does in now in the electronic age with children able to do that is that there's a lot of, of bullying that goes on online. Uh, there have been cases of people going out and actually assuming, you know, putting up websites that go out and say that I am this person then putting a bunch of false defamatory information about the child out there. And it's not really even their own website, but other children are, are kind of bullying them and putting out that information about them. Yeah. There's a lot of there's a lot of laws that are springing up around, uh, especially on, on the state level in the U.S., to deal with both cyberbullying and cyber harassment and all these issues that can go on electronically that used to go on in the playground, you know, offline. Yeah. Well, how, what's it like in Asia? Are those kinds of things happening? I know you guys are pretty techie in Japan. Are those same concerns really in Asia as well? Yeah, um, the, these concerns happen around the world. It's interesting, in, in the book I talk about this, the differences among children and cultures around the world and how children experience different things and the different concerns they have. For example, in Japan, one of the big things here, Japan was an was a early leader in, uh, in mobile phones. And, and so mobile phones are, have been everywhere, and they're very small, and they're, and they're easily used by, by children everywhere, and there's so many games available, so, so children often use them. So what Japan uh, experienced early on was the problem of, of people chasing, uh, adults chasing children on mobile phones, uh, of bullying happening through mobile phones. So Japan w- requires now that the uh, mobile phones, when, when they're uh, sold to children, they're, they're phones specifically for children, um, that these phones come with safeguards and software already on them as, as a default when children get them to be protected against a lot, a lot of these different issues. So there's different issues that, that different countries are in leadership of based on their own experiences and what they've had in, in their different cultures. Well, that's really a good idea to have the default as protection rather than the default as open. You know, that makes a lot of sense to me. 
Yeah, having to opt into some of these things, the problem is, you know, parents, schools, children don't always understand the issues well enough. So it's, it's best to have these things preset as something that if you, if you need and want to change it, you can do that. But otherwise, the protection is already there. And that's the best way to start with children. Right. That's, I, that's the best way to start with anyone who doesn't know what they're doing when they're on the Internet or they're on their cell phone, I think. You know, that's smart. Well, that what you? happens a lot... Yeah, what happens a lot in, in a lot of things on the Internet, uh, you know, advertising is a typical example of that on, in mobile phones and other things, is advertisers obviously want to reach out and, 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 and get to children. This happens a lot through children's games. Um, there, there's advertising that, that goes there, um, and they want you, if you don't want to get it, to have to opt out of it. In other words, it, by default it comes in. Um, but from a consumer side, you would rather that things are set up already so the defaults are there so you don't have to opt into the protections you can only opt out of it if you don't want to use it yeah it, it's not very con- it's not really very protective of consumers when it's that way so i really prefer the especially for children to have the default is more protective we're speaking with thomas J. shaw in japan and he is the author of this wonderful book that i think really all parents should be reading and teachers it's called children and the internet a global guide for lawyers and parents, and he goes into all of the risks, and really we're going to talk a little bit more about what should be done, but you can go to um, tshawlaw.com and find out more about him, and he's also the author of Cloud Computing for Lawyers and Executives, a Global Approach, and we're going to talk about that in just a couple minutes, but let's talk a little bit more, Tom, about kids, um, since we all really want to protect our kids now, what are some tips for parents? So the parents driving by right now, what, did she, what should they be doing to protect their children on the Internet? Well, I've got through a whole thing in the book on how to do this, but there's, there's two things you need to do up front. One is you have to understand your own relationship with your child, and you have to, you have to understand, you know, can you set these rules and will they follow the rules uh, that you set about their Internet access? And then beyond that, you need to do an inventory. You need to sit down with your child and understand how are all the ways at home, at school, mobily that they access the Internet. Um, and and once you, what do they access? And what kind of information do they exchange? And once you've done this inventory of all their Internet use and where they access it and how they access it, then you can understand what kind of restrictions you need to place or are in place and then what kind of monitoring that you have to do uh, after the fact of what their actual use is. There's a way to do this in a way that allows the child to have the freedom they need to do what they do. And, of course, that changes as they get older. You're going to have to readjust this as they get older and they get wiser about, about this use. But it, it gives them the freedom. But it also gives you the assurance that things are going on that you wouldn't approve of if you weren't over their shoulder watching. Yeah, and you know, I mean, someone like you who's very techy, it's easy for you to do that. But sometimes when parents really aren't, I mean, all they know how to do is use their iPhone. I mean, that's a little bit different. I mean, they're pretty much going to have to find out what in the world of these things are that can even happen, right? That's why they need something like your book to even understand what the risks are. And then they can do that inventory. Yeah, exactly. And it's interesting in this book, and the title doesn't do it justice. It says you know, for lawyers and parents, but it's also for schools and teachers and, and many other people, but I couldn't get that all on the cover. <laughs> it's, it's, 
it's interesting. So I'm writing for such disparate audiences, you know, very technical people, very legal people, for parents, for teachers, and they all come from different experiences. But I've, I try to write it at a level that everyone can understand. Um, and with the common thing is maybe everyone mostly are parents who are interested in this. Let's start from that level and make it understandable to them. So I try to write this at a level so a parent who doesn't have any knowledge can follow a checklist and yes. say, well, here's the, here's the steps I have to take to do what I have to do to get this comfort to protect my child and to, and to feel right about what I'm doing and to change that as they grow older. Yes, and, and I think that's the parents have to become more savvy and sit down with their kids and see what their kids are doing and, and really watch what their kids are doing and talk with them about this. So how about teachers in schools? They're not in exactly the same uh, you know, predicament as parents are. What should they be doing to protect the kids? Well, first thing teachers and, and schools need to do is understand that they do have a responsibility. Um, when they're using the Internet for education, they need to do it in a risk-aware manner. And I found out that teachers are, are really great at finding online tools and websites to use to help the education process. They're really good at that. But what they don't always do is they don't always risk assess the website, the program, the tool that they're using online to see what's the effect potentially on a child uh, out there about them giving information, being exposed on the Internet to predators and different things. So what I would encourage the schools and the teachers to do is to follow a process of doing a risk assessment every time they add a new capability that they're going to use to provide online education for kids. And what I did in the book is I went through and created a very simple 10-step process uh, for teachers and schools to use to assess every new website, every new online program they're using to, to help train children now. And you know, my goal in this thing is to drive online education even further. So to drive that, you need to be aware of what are those risks I'm encountering when I drive this. And that's why I set up this, this simple um, methodology in this appendix that teachers and schools can use. There's a whole bunch of more very detailed steps uh, for the people more interested in it, but there's a very simple methodology for all teachers to use. There's only five of the steps apply to them, and they can take those five steps, answer those questions, and then, and then it moves on from there. And then there's a much more assurance to parents that the Internet is being used safely for their children in education. Yeah, so Tom, why don't you just give a couple of the things that they should be doing? You don't have to go through the entire appendix, but why don't you just talk about a, a few of the things that the teachers should be doing then? Um, well, I'll just tell you, this is very simple. All the teachers, they just got to you know, write down what is the, um, what's the website, and, and does the website have a privacy policy on it? Um, and, and can they, they read the privacy policy? Yeah, they, yeah. they probably can't, but the, there's actually two parts to this. One, one is what the teacher does, and the second part is what the school's IT department does, now, or, or the legal department. Now, what, the IT department or legal department will understand the privacy policy. So teach, all teachers are going to do is write it down. How do, how do they get there? So when the IT department does their assessment, they can look at it. Um, but then what the teacher has to do in the other four steps is they just go through and they, and they say, well, what information is being collected from children? They should understand that. What the website will ask for what information from children. And is there any communication outside this website? Can anybody from the outside come in and communicate? Can, you know, can a predator potentially come in and, and do some communication or adults involved? Is there communication from child to child? Of course, someone can impersonate a child. So can children communicate with each other through this website or, or program? Another one is, is are, are the names, so is the identifying information available um, to people on the website? Can they see the kid's name or location? 
And the last one that teachers need to think about is, is advertising. Are there, are there links either to advertising or to, to third-party links? In other words, can you go outside this website or is it all self-contained? Many of the better children's websites these days are, are self-contained, and they'll have a whole world inside, and children can play uh, for hours inside. There's no communication with other children. There's no displaying of names. There's no request for information. And when all that's when all that's true, there's a much higher level of safety of the, of the child being online. And then, then it falls back to just your usual things that you want to check for in your own PCs and your connections and stuff like that. So, Tom, do you let your daughter play games on her, um, on her, on your iPad and on her cell? Does she have a cell phone? Uh, no, not yet. Okay. And uh, she doesn't have her own email address. Uh, she's eight now. And, and so, uh, no, she wants it, but uh, she has to send all email through me because that's not safe enough yet. But she, she does uh, spend hours every day online. And what I have done is I have set up her, the URLs, the websites that she can visit in advance. So I've pre-approved them. And if she wants to go to another one, she has to come and ask me. And that gives me the chance to, to check the website. So I, I know every website that she is on. And I can, I can verify in advance, and I can also do some after-the-fact monitoring of what she's actually doing. But uh, I keep a close eye on what she's actually doing. Then as she gets older, that will change. She'll want more freedom. So there will be additional types of tools and maybe more after-the-fact monitoring we'll have to do. And there, there's lots of tools and programs available for parents to do this. They just have to implement them. Yeah, and they have to know which, which ones are the safe ones that they can use, you know, as well. And that's that's a real that's a real issue um, these days. And one of the things I tell everybody is a popular name in in children in the children's world doesn't necessarily mean safety. There's been a number of issues uh, documented by the federal the FTC, and which goes out and investigates uh, deceptive trade practices on the internet, uh, investigations of several children's sites of sites that, that looked very safe, but were actually collecting uh, information from children, uh, selling that information, uh, not following safe practices for children. And there's been some famous names um, that you would be very surprised that they were involved in an unsafe Internet practice for children. So you can't rely on a name. You have to do your own investigation uh, of this by following these very simple steps. Tom, is there a website that parents can go to that will tell them something that, you know, whether something is a safe website to use, even if the, the name sounds like Teddy Bear or something? Is there, is... You know, a lot of the, uh, a lot of the um, antivirus, the leading antivirus uh, programs come with uh, a lot of uh, what they call safe uh, website checking. They, okay. they have this ability to say if that website is safe, um, that doesn't necessarily mean it's all safe uh, for your children. Right. Um, and, and so in, in reality, you really have to go beyond that you, to understand. Uh, it, it's, it's nice if parents can check privacy policies and understand them or, or just sit down with their child one time and, and go through it and, and check. But any, any list is going to become outdated very quickly. Yes. So um, I think it's best for parents to, to really know uh, what, you know, and visit those sites and, and understand them. Um, one of the things I do uh, do in the book, and, the, and actually in the first appendix, is I lift uh, a series of websites, uh, different groups across the world, uh, actually, that are, are focused on a lot of these things that where parents can go view and they can, they can get educated. They're, they're for parents and to help them uh, understand about Internet safety for their children from the website. A lot of them sponsored either by the government or by government with um, some public 
private partnerships with other organizations as well, a lot of NGOs. Yes, I remember we I, one of the ones I see in your book here is NetSmart's workshop, and we've had them on our show, so that's great, and iSafe as well, so that's good, and, and I'm glad that you listed these, and you know that, that gives a, a good start because these, these websites have been around for a while so that they're helping. So we, you know, tell us a little bit about some of the laws that um, really are important regarding children online. The leading law is, is the uh, COPA law that's been around for quite a while now, which um, Congress is uh, in, in the process of uh, reviewing and, and looking about, about changing. But uh, it basically is privacy for children uh, online, and it uh, says that you know, children under 13 um, can't, uh, give out any, any personal information without their their parents' uh, verified consent. Um, that's the leading you know law in the U.S. as far as privacy of children online. But there are a lot, many many, and I list them in in the book. Many many laws at the state level that have to do with the states have been reacting very quickly to a lot of these issues. There's uh, laws about cyberbullying, for example, uh, cyber stalking, harassment, financial and, and online privacy at a state level. <clears throat> so depending upon the state everyone in, um, you know, it's going to be different laws and, and, and maybe because it's online, uh, the actual impact may occur in a different location than where you're logging in from. But if you're listeners in California, there's quite a lot of laws. In fact, they use California as kind of a role model um, for a state that has a, a fantastic number of uh, protection laws for children uh, online. They're very quick to get uh, laws out there. And, and so um, there are various statutes out there that protect you after the fact. Yes, yes. So let's just switch gears. We don't have a whole lot of time, but I know you've written extensively on the cloud and everybody's on the cloud, whether they know it or not, but whether, you know, if they use Gmail or if they use Hotmail or if they're on at Facebook, right? They're all using the cloud. So how, how safe is the cloud and how, how does privacy get impacted by the cloud? The cloud's as safe as you make it. Um, and I, I say that being a big proponent of people moving to the cloud, it is up to the individual user of the cloud to make it as safe uh, as it needs to be. And you need to understand, once you're online in the cloud, you need to make sure that you stay in control of your information in the cloud. There's a lot of people putting a lot of uh, personal information online, but if you follow the news at all, there's, there's data breaches that happen on a continuous basis, some very famous names. So that information is potentially out there. It's available for identity theft and all the other bad things that can happen to you online. So people need to be able to do some kind of assessment of themselves, of their own practices, of the information that they would be putting into the cloud and what they shouldn't put in the cloud. And then once they do put it in the cloud, who are they going to have that information stored by and used by? And so you need to understand who your provider, your cloud service provider um, is and what are their policies and how, how do they use your information and, and if you want to leave them, can you get your information back and can you delete all your information and what countries does your information go to? Does it leave the U.S.? Does it go overseas? If it goes overseas, what kind of issues, what kind of laws are you subject to that may impact your own privacy? Oh, wow. So it's pretty scary. I know for me, I anything that's sensitive that I have that I know is going to be backed up on the cloud, I encrypt. 
And I don't know how many people really do that, but uh, when you think that even the cloud can be, you know, you could have a security breach in the cloud and you don't always know that that's 100% safe. So is that something you would recommend too, to encrypt before it goes up there? Yeah, I mean, uh, there's you know, there's information that's very important to you, and there's information that is less important to you. Any important information to you should be encrypted if it's in the cloud. If you can understand how to do that, unfortunately, encryption is still not the simplest thing to use uh, for in consumers right now. There's, yeah. there's still some some amount of education you have to do. Yes. Um, the, before that, is even the question of do you even want the information on the cloud? If, if there's information, if you're in a small business and you have information that's your competitive advantage of, of how you're, you pra- practice your business, uh, I would never put that in the cloud. Uh, I would never put it on a network anywhere because it's, it, it's about you being a going concern. Uh, so, so these things should remain local to you. And then the information you put in the cloud, you should break into a couple of categories of that that's very important, and, and maybe you encrypt that information and the stuff that's less important and you don't want to go through the time and effort to, to encrypt the information. Uh, what I tell all, all the clients is you need to think this way. A data breach will happen to you. Yeah. And when it does happen to you, the issue is how are you going to respond? Not, not will it happen to you, it will happen to you. So how are you going to respond? And what information do you want to have breached? And what's the impact to you and your small business or your life if that information becomes public? Well, Tom, that's a great way to end. We were going to have to tell people to take a look at your book, Cloud Computing for Lawyers and Executives, A Global Approach. That's another way we can learn more about it. And we thank you so much for joining us again. And you just stay safe over there in beautiful Japan and we'll send people to tshawlaw.com and thank you so much for joining us again. Thank you so much, Mari, for having me. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Been listening to KUCI, 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8 a.m. and visit our website at KUCI.org slash privacypiracy. Download our podcast and listen to archived interviews and write us emails. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.